welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to get together again today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that in my weakness you would be strong, leading us into all truth. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue our series about people who had life-changing encounters with Christ in the New Testament, I want us to look at a relative of Jesus who had a very important part to play as God's plan for salvation unfolded. Because he was a part of Christ's extended family, his encounter with Jesus differed from that of Nicodemus or the Samaritan woman we've already studied. But we can still learn much from how he experienced God's grace in his own life. We don't often think about it, but the New Testament opens at a dark time in Israel's history. God's people had been dominated by the Roman Empire for many years, and yet they had not lost hope in God's promise in the Old Testament to send the Messiah, the one who would deliver them and usher in the kingdom of God. However, they mistakenly believed that the promised Messiah would set them free from Roman oppression, but God had a far greater freedom in mind for his people. He was going to set them free from their bondage to sin. God had also promised that the Messiah would be preceded by a prophet who would announce his arrival. By this time, there had been 400 long years of silence since any of God's prophets had spoken, and weariness was beginning to set in. Then, one day, it happened. The voice of a prophet began to be heard in the Judean wilderness, calling people everywhere to repent and prepare for the coming of the Lord. That voice belonged to John the Baptist, a cousin of Jesus. John's parents were Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were both from the tribe of Levi, the tribe responsible for conducting Israel's worship. Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and you might remember from the story of Christ's birth that Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth after the angel Gabriel's announcement to her. Zacharias, or Zachariah as he is sometimes called, was a priest who served from time to time at the temple in Jerusalem. And Luke chapter 1 verse 6 tells us that both Zacharias and his wife were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But verse 7 then goes on to say, They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. In those days, most people associated barrenness with the lack of God's favor. But Luke makes their devotion to God plain. 
One day, as Zacharias was serving in the temple in Jerusalem, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, announcing that his prayer for a child had been heard, and that his wife Elizabeth would bear him a son, despite their advanced age. The angel declared that the child was to be called John, and that many would rejoice because of his birth, for he would be great in the sight of the Lord. The angel also said that John was to be specially devoted to the Lord, in that he was never to take wine or other fermented drink, and promised that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. This was a truly remarkable statement, for up until this time only kings and prophets were anointed with God's Spirit, and none of them had ever had the Holy Spirit come upon them in the womb. John would be an extraordinary son, born under extraordinary circumstances, and the angel declared that he would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, for he was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Can you imagine how startling this announcement would have been to the elderly Zacharias? But it is such an example of how God's grace works ordering things in every detail even before the event itself. You see, John's birth was no accident and neither was yours, no matter how it came to pass. Now, I appreciate that some might have difficulty relating to this, but Psalm 139 verses 13 to 16 says that each individual one of us is known intimately by God and has been precious in his sight before we ever drew a single breath. For it was he who knit you together in your mother's womb. Your frame was not hidden from him when you were made in the secret place. His eyes saw your unformed body, and all the days ordained for you were written in his book before one of them came to be. You and I are not here by accident. We're here because God wants us and brought us into life. He loves us and he has a purpose for our lives. We are not now, nor have we ever been, outside of his grace. Luke then tells us that John's parents named him John, just as the angel had commanded, and that the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. The Gospel of Mark picks up his story, and chapter 1, verses 4 to 8, reveal how John's ministry began. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey and this was his message. After me comes the one who is more powerful than I the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As far as preachers go, 
John was rather unusual, and actually so was his message. And yet, do you see how effective his ministry was? All the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to hear him speak. And more than that, they responded to his message. He preached in one of the harshest environments on earth, the desert wilderness of Judea. It was an uncomfortable place of scorching heat, and yet still people flocked to hear him speak. He didn't look successful. He didn't look the part, really. Truth be told, he seemed rather strange with his clothing made of camel's hair and his odd diet. And if you read further, you'll see he never tried to cleverly sell his message or cater to what his listeners wanted to hear either. In fact, he called his listeners a brood of vipers in Luke chapter 3 verse 7, and yet people still responded to his message. John was not a people pleaser, and yet his ministry bore such great fruit. Why? Because he was faithfully delivering the message God had given him by the power of the Holy Spirit, that there was one coming who was much more powerful than he, the Messiah, who would baptize people not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. But it seems John didn't know all the details. We read of his testimony in John chapter 1 verses 29 through 37. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen, and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. It amazes me that though John would have known Jesus as his cousin, he did not know that Jesus was the Messiah he was actually proclaiming, even when Jesus was beginning his ministry. But when John saw the Spirit of God resting on Christ in the form of a dove, he knew exactly what that meant. His cousin Jesus was God in the flesh, the promised Messiah, and from that moment on he boldly declared him to be the Lamb of God, who has come into the world to be our great sacrifice for sin, the one who had surpassed him because he was before him. I think the main takeaway is this. John didn't know the full story when he began to proclaim the Messiah's coming. John knew he was coming, but he didn't know exactly who he was going to be. However, God's plan was unfolded to John as he walked in obedience to God's call. That obedience 
enabled John to fulfill his part in God's plan. Notice, too, that John's mission was about connecting people to Jesus, not to himself. When people asked him if he was the Christ, John would clearly tell them no. In fact, he maintained that he was not even worthy to untie Christ's sandal, the task of the lowest household servant. And when Jesus came to him to be baptized in Matthew 3, John tried to prevent him, saying that if anything, Christ should be the one to baptize him. He repeatedly revealed Jesus to be the one people should follow, and even happily allowed his own disciples to become Christ's disciples instead. In fact, in John chapter 3, verses 27 to 30, it relates that when some of his own disciples were worried that Christ was gaining more popularity than John, he replied, A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater I must become less. John always pointed people to Christ and away from himself. And that's something we all have to do. Make no mistake, it is a blessing to be used by God in someone else's life. But we must remember that he must increase and we must decrease. Jesus alone is able to save. He alone is the giver of life. And there's something else we can learn from this great servant of God. He didn't compromise the truth of God's message, even when he knew it would likely lead to the end of his ministry. John knew the deep need for mankind to repent or to turn from their old lives of sin to Christ as their saviour. And he was willing to bring that message to even the most powerful politicians of the day. Remember, at this time, Herod the Great ruled Judea as Rome's puppet king. Herod was a terrible man who killed anyone who threatened his authority, even his own family members. When he died, shortly after the birth of Christ, he split the kingdom among his sons so that none of them would ever be as great as he was. They may not have been as great, but they were horribly immoral as their father had been. One of those sons, named Herod Antipas, divorced his wife in order to marry his niece, Herodias. There was just one small problem, however. Herodias was still married to his brother, Philip. Rather than ignore what was going on, We're told in Luke chapter 3 that John rebuked Herod Antipas for the evil things he was doing, but especially for what he was doing with his brother's wife. John faithfully declared the message that God had given him, no matter who was in the audience. Calling them to repentance, he urged both Herod and Herodias to make their hearts right with God. 
As could be expected, the outcome of that confrontation was not good for John. Matthew 14, 3-4 simply states that Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. I want us to stop here for a moment. While John was languishing in prison, he apparently began to struggle. Matthew 11 describes John's conflict in verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. For John to struggle with doubt is really remarkable to me. Remember, he had a special conception and birth. He'd been filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. John certainly heard from God throughout his life. He'd seen Jesus and recognized him as the Messiah. He'd humbly and faithfully preached the message God had given him, whether it was popular or not. And he'd seen people turn from their sins to follow the Lord. Yet in the darkness of his prison cell, John's heart began to question whether or not Jesus really was the Messiah. Why would he do that? Well, remember, people had been expecting a political deliverer, one who would come to set them free from the Romans and from the wicked rule of the various Herods. We don't know for sure, but perhaps John had also been hoping that Christ would have started a revolution by now and that surely once Jesus was on his ancestor David's throne in Jerusalem, all would be well. But nothing like that was happening, and so John began to doubt. This seems hard for us to believe that such a man of God would do this until we look at our own lives. For when the Lord doesn't do things in the way we expected him to do, or in perhaps the way we'd hoped, It's sometimes hard not to question him, isn't it? But even in that dark moment, Jesus had no rebuke for John. Rather, he sent John's disciples back to him with a reassurance, reminding John that he was doing the very miracles that Scripture had said the Messiah would do, the very signs that proved the kingdom of God had indeed come among men. And then he encouraged John to stand fast and not stumble in his faith, simply because his expectations were not being fulfilled. What I love about the gracious way Jesus deals with this situation is that he then turns to the crowd to commend John to them, despite his questioning, despite his doubts. He says in verse 7, As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? 
If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus reminds the people of just who John the Baptist was, a prophet sent by God. But he wasn't just any prophet, as they'd known in the past. He was the prophet whom God had said would prepare the way for the Messiah. And Christ used the words of Malachi 3 verse 1, in which God tells the Messiah that he would send a messenger before him to prepare the way for his coming. In saying this, Jesus is not only commending John as a forerunner, he's also proclaiming himself to be the Messiah, the ruler of God's kingdom everyone had been waiting so long for. I hope John's disciples heard and carried those words back to him as well. What reassurance this would have given him hearing those very words from the lips of Christ himself. God's grace reached out to John in the midst of his darkness, and that encourages me greatly, because it helps me to realize that God's love for us is not diminished when we struggle with our circumstances or even with doubt. He understands and meets us where we are if we seek him with our whole hearts. So how did John the Baptist complete his ministry for the Lord? We saw earlier that Herod wanted to kill John, but wouldn't do it because he feared the people who believed John was a prophet. That wasn't good enough for Herodias, though. She began to nurse a grudge against John for what he'd said about her and wanted him dead. However, Mark chapter 6 verse 20 and onwards reveals that she wasn't able to get to him because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Herod wouldn't give in to her demands for vengeance. In fact, he often brought John out of his cell and conversed with him. It may sound strange, but it was not unusual in those days for a ruler to bring a captive in to talk to them. And one can only imagine Herodias's growing anger as she realized that the king actually liked to listen to the preacher she so despised. When given an opportunity, she was very quick to act. Verse 21. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. This girl's name was Salome, 
and as soon as she heard Herod's drunken offer, she knew she needed to speak to her mother. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent out an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. John the Baptist and King Herod couldn't have been more different. The prophet of God didn't care what people thought of him. It only mattered what God thought of him. But by contrast, Herod, who cared nothing for God, was only concerned about saving face in front of his friends. And so, against his better judgment, he allowed the prophet of God, John, to be executed. Matthew tells us that when Jesus heard of his cousin's death, he withdrew to a solitary place. I think it's obvious that Jesus loved John and his death mattered a great deal to him. It reminds me of what we're told in Psalm 116 verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. And John the Baptist was faithful to the very end of his life. He fearlessly preached the message God had entrusted to him. How did he find the strength to do that? He found it in the grace of God. Grace enabled John to finish his course and complete the work he'd been called to do, even though in the world's eyes it seemed that his life ended in failure and death. We need to experience the same grace in our own lives. When things come to an end that we may not have anticipated or desired, God's grace can help us shift our perspective. Instead of feeling abandoned or deprived, we can trust that God's purposes for that season in our lives have been completed and He is leading us on to the next step. So what can we learn from the life and death of John the Baptist? First of all, he was faithful to God's call. He promoted Christ rather than himself and drew people to Jesus rather than to his own ministry. He was a man just like us. And at his lowest point, he had his questions, his doubts. But he took them to the right place and found the answers his heart needed. And when his ministry came to an end, it was not because he'd failed God or because he'd overstepped the mark in challenging the lifestyle of a politician. No, it came to an end because God called his faithful servant home, his work complete. He finished well. Oh, the grace of God that sets us apart even before we are born and unfolds God's plan to us as we walk in obedience to his call, that encourages us 
and gives us the strength to hold on even when we doubt. And yes, the grace of God that enables us to finish our race and to finally hear those words from our Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. May God bless you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for everything you've said to our hearts through the life and death of John. Lord, thank you that we are not mistakes. You have called us into being like him for just such a time as this. Lord, I pray that we would boldly proclaim your truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, to any and every person you bring across our path. Lord, may we always bring glory and honour to your name, irrespective of the cost to ourselves. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at in the word.